Whereabouts are you location wise? Oh, I'm in Georgia in okay. uh, the southeast. And so I'm in central Georgia. It's Milledgeville. It's probably about an hour southeast of Atlanta, I think. Okay. It's near, uh, not too far from Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is located. <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with Athens, you know, REM, a lot of bands came out of there in the 80s. When I think Athens, I think of Greece. That's oh, yeah, really yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we see her Athens, we think of Georgia, University of Georgia, Georgia, <laughs> but we still think of Greece, too. <laughs> One of those things, they can't, can't yeah. avoid it when things are named after other things. <laughs> I know, like Paris, Texas. Yes. We have uh, Rome, Georgia, too. <laughs> I had the surreal experience of I went to Canada a couple of years ago and a lot of the like the towns around Toronto are named after places where I live and like oh, there's a, wow. like a Boston in Ontario and, and different things I was just like I don't yeah. know where I am now are you in London where are you oh uh, so I'm in the northeast of England so I'm in okay. Lincoln, Lincolnshire is basically oh where okay no one okay. really knows where that is oh, okay I've been to London I've been to Reading, um, right. Oxford, uh, Lewisham. I stayed in Lewisham for a summer course one time. Um, Kingston. I made yeah. a trip to Kingston. Um, Quite else? a few places then, really. Yeah. So I got to see some. Uh, it's beautiful. I want to go back. I recommend. There's there's a lot to see in such a small yeah. space. There is. Yeah. I only got to scratch the surface. I did get to go see Bernard Shaw's home one time when I was there. Well, when I was there with LSU Study Abroad, went nice. out to A at St. Lawrence and saw his little riding hut that he could he could turn to face the sun. <laughs> so it's nice to see where where they lived and what they did. It really <laughs> is. I love that. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. We're already recording. Um, I'm terrible at introducing people, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Okay, my name is Nevada McPherson. Um, I, I, I'm a writer and I also teach. I'm a mm-hmm. professor of English at Georgia Military College. And um, in the past, I taught in New Orleans at a community college there, Nunes Community College. And I taught uh, film and uh, media studies uh, as an adjunct at Tulane University for about many years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, my husband retired. He was a speech professor uh, for many years and uh, he retired and um, we left New Orleans and um, we came back to um, to Georgia. I'm originally from Georgia in the United States. So, um, yeah, you're well traveled then. Well, I try to be. I would love to travel more. I look forward to doing more traveling in the future. So it's always worth doing a little, a little bit of traveling. It is. Yeah. It is. I think it. Well, it makes you appreciate home more, and I, I love to get out and see new things. It's. It's always an adventure. Whenever I'm about to go on a big trip, I always get a little bit nervous. But then once I'm underway, I love yeah. it. <laughs> you don't mind flying or anything like that. No, I don't really no. mind flying. Um, I went, I taught, I team taught a screenwriting course at a film festival in Bali several years ago. Oh, and wow. that's probably the longest flight I've been on. 
And um, yeah, but that was that was a big adventure as well. I was only there for about a week. I felt like I was just getting kind of used to things when I had to leave. But at least I got to see some fascinating things and I got to meet some interesting people and uh, learn a lot. So that's one of the best things about travel is I learned so much and I meet so many interesting folks that I remember years later. So. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious then, because you just mentioned that you, you, you tell media studies and then obviously moved into writing. Which way around is it? Is your, is your passion with writing and then you studied film or vice versa? Well, yeah, well, I wrote my first story when I was in the sixth grade. Uh, and so it started with that. And then I got more into film. I always liked movies growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, I got more and more into film uh, appreciation, I think. And um, one of the things, you know, just I think it's it's great that people can stream and see movies in any format now. But one of the things that I think uh, really helped my film education was was watching movies on the big screen right. and in their original intended format. And I'm really into classic film. And um, years ago, my husband taught a uh, a speech course. It was like a speech and debate course at a summer camp in Palo Alto um, at Stanford, uh, junior statesman. But um, there's a theater downtown, an old theater that shows classic movies. And we would go, we didn't have a TV. We were staying in the dorm during the summer. and We didn't have a TV in our room. And so we would go out to a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And I think it was watching, they would always show like a double feature, you know, or, <laughs> and so I think it was going to movies just about every other night, going to see a yeah. lot of classic films on the big screen that really um, made me appreciate it much more. And even I, I love little small theaters, little indie theaters, um, you know, the smaller theaters but still they show a lot of independent um you know kind of character driven really quirky films and I love that as well and um my um my degree was in creative writing um at LSU and then um I I got my master's my MFA in screenwriting and so one of the I didn't expect to like screenwriting as much as as I ended up liking it no but um I love to write fiction mm-hmm. and I still, and that's why I feel like I finally with my, my novel poser that, um, that I finished, I guess a couple of years ago, it started out as a screenplay, but um, I think that um, I had to take a, a final course for my creative writing. And I, I had to take the only one I had taken was screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, Oh gosh, that's going to be difficult. You know, it has that kind of weird format and yeah, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to like that as much. <laughs> But once I learned the format, I think that intimidates a lot of people about screenwriting is it's kind of an unusual, it's an industry standard format. But once I learned that, once I kind of cracked the code for that, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, working in that form. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I wrote a lot of screenplays and um, I think I had, had took me a really long time to find kind of a prose voice. And I feel like it's in the last few years, last couple of years, I've started to kind of find a, a, prose voice that I feel like you know works for me um and so as I started to well what I had started to do with the poser um that turned into my novel I had started to adapt it as I knew it was going to be longer than just one novel it was running kind of long and so I decided to adapt it as a tv series which I'm I'm not as familiar with tv writing I'm trying to still trying to learn uh, more about that but um it was through doing that that then I decided, well, I'm, I mean, I'm still working on it as a series, but mm-hmm. um, I decided to uh, adapt it as a novel. 
And I just, the way I kind of do is I get into each character's head and voice as much as I can. And, um, you know, tell their, their parts of the story through their point of view. And I feel like that, that worked for me. And, um, that's what I, I feel most comfortable doing right now. Of course, good to have a comfort zone, but then, you know, it's good to break out of that comfort zone too. So, but that's kind of how I got into, to writing more fiction. Yeah, that's definitely like, that's interesting because I think, I mean, I, I went, when I went to uni, um, I studied film and photography. So oh, I met right. a lot of want to be, you know, screenwriters and early, early people who wanted to be directors and all those kinds of things. Um, and I find it interesting how many industries and professions they go into where I'm seeing ideas they first pitched as a screen screenplay. Or they've right. like, I've got an idea for a short film and then years later, they'll be writing a book about it or drawing something yeah. about it. And I'm like, oh, yes. You're just recycling everything. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I mean, it's trying it out and adapting it to different forms. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that because I had a um, a short, I, I mostly wrote feature film scripts, but then, mm-hmm. you know, spec scripts. But then I had uh, one short film script that I, I directed as a short film years ago. And uh, I acted in it. And I directed it, which is, I wore a lot of hats, which is really hard. And people said, you know, that's going to be really hard to do that. And I said, I know. Uh, And I tried, and it was, it was difficult. Um, But after doing that, I decided to, well, I had storyboarded it and um, to try to get it where we could, you know, get it done in a weekend, which we didn't, but anyway, but then we finally finished it. But anyway, um, I storyboarded it and I really enjoyed that part of it. My, my characters, when I did the storyboard were a little more than stick figures. Um, (laughs) But, but it got me, it got me into that. And so then I, I started adapting, um, adapted, let's see, so far two, yeah, three, three of my screenplays I adapted into graphic novels. And so um, when I was much younger, I used to enjoy drawing and so I went back to trying to draw these things. And, and at first, my characters just, you know, once again, <laughs> were a little more than stick figures. But the more I practiced, this t- it took years. You know, yeah. Because it was hand drawn. It was like a kitchen sink. You know? <laughs> um, it took a, it was really I took the long way to do it. But um, I think I found a little quirky style, you know, that kind of fit with my characters and everything. And so that that. Um, kind of got me into graphic novels and then um uh and now I'm in you know getting more and more into prose and trying to you know I feel like I, I found my voice for for now with that so yeah I find it quite a hard, hard transi- transition from kind of being taught to write screenplays and then trying to write any kind of short fiction just because you have to include so much more Yes. In the words. <laughs> I'm so used to just like oh they're standing in a room room. Yes. <laughs> away to somebody else and it's done yes it's such a long process <laughs> it is and it's so different it's almost like you just have to I don't know if it's a change of mindset you just mm. have to you just have to be so visual with your screenwriting and then you really you can just go into flashbacks you can go into all kinds of moods with prose and it's wonderful but it, it's a getting used to 
between one and the other. And also, um, I was at a Austin Film Festival a few years ago, and I heard so there are some people on a panel. They're starting to have more playwriting panels. I noticed it's a lot of the film festivals, hmm. and um, it was some people on a panel who were working in the industry and maybe had transitioned from playwriting into TV writing and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, I went up to and spoke with one of them afterwards and they said you know I told him about I, said, I have the screenplay and I'm thinking about adapting it to a play I don't know but they said oh you should you should adapt it to a stage play and so I thought well that's what I'll do and so I started trying to do that and it was so hard you know? yeah. and uh, because you know with screenplays you you do a, a new slug line a new interior room day you know and then that's where you are and you can jump around you can move around so quickly but then switching the mindset over to stage it's like well now this needs to be a fully fledged you know scene if i I jump around i'm gonna have to change you know the setting which if you're in a black box theater you can do that more easily and there's so much that um stage directors can do they can incorporate video and all these other mediums you know now into stage plays but still I was like whoa this is way harder than I thought it would be (laughs) and it's like I was I was trying to reading some stuff trying to get some ideas well what are some ways to to do this to make it happen and it pretty much said what what I found to be true um you really just have to start over you know just start think of it as a whole new thing i mean you've got your characters but you do have to think of it in a whole new way as a whole different thing because that's what it is yeah definitely so it's hard <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's hard yeah i i think it's one of those things that i i i always try to encourage people just to if they have an idea and they get stuck with it to refactor into something different you know like, like you say yeah. you know doing some storyboards and thinking okay well i can turn this into a short cartoon and mm-hmm. you know or i could yeah, into, yeah. you know whatever i want it to be because maybe it's better in the other mm-hmm. one exactly exactly yeah. um years ago i uh, saw so the director steven soderbergh mm-hmm. you know years ago he did well he went to lsu uh, he had just left there i think it was and well he had just had a lot of success with sex lines and videotape when i first came to lsu years ago yeah but um i heard him when he had done his che his movie on uh, che guevara it was a two-part movie there were two separate like feature films that it, he was doing a road show he was going around to movie theaters showing this these two films Mm -hmm. and um this was in new orleans it was a neighborhood theater and it was this great uh older like single screen theater um but he was talking about what it was like you know bringing that story to the screen and about how you know he went to the 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 uh the company i forget what company did it but he went to them you know and pitched the idea Mm -hmm. and um and then he he started making it and he realized this is going to be need to be two films and how hard that was to go back and and get funding and do all the things that would need to be done for that and he was saying well you know if i had it to do over um which it it, it, you know they're both films are great i mean it's fascinating but then again he said uh, you know this could some things are better as tv series you can you know kind of go into more you could tell more of the story because he's like there was just more of the story that i wanted to tell and it was harder to do that in feature film than it would have been as a TV series. Yeah. Uh, I'm a TV fan from way back too. So um, I'm enjoying kind of learning more about TV writing and the structure and things like that. Yeah. I think I've read recently, um, is it Michael Mann who did Heat? He, he basically made Heat twice, like mm-hmm. because he made it for either film or TV and then mm-hmm. decided it wasn't what he wanted it to be. 
So yeah, he just re- reused yeah. the entire story and threw it back in and was like, yep, we're just doing this again. Like, yeah, well, I, I can see how people, you know, like whatever medium, yeah. where you think it, it works the best or best way to tell the story. And sometimes it's hard to, you're passionate, you want to tell this story, but maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't just jump out at you what the best way will be until you really get into it or until you've already done it and you see another way to do yeah. it. So do you, ever, do you ever find yourself kind of holding on to ideas then like you you maybe think of an idea and think hmm, well if I could write this but if if I held on to it a little bit maybe something else or you know yes yes right. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some idea and there's uh, another one that I wrote as a screenplay that I'm trying to it, it it's a manuscript I, I started out a few years ago adapting it as a novel mm-hmm. and um I feel like I just hadn't found the right voice to tell it and I think um, I want to go back and revise it but um, it's about the life of Eric von Stroheim who um, if you if you know the movie Sunset Boulevard he played the butler in Sunset Boulevard but before that he um, he directed well he was an actor in silent films um, and then he uh, when he came to America and then he uh, he got well he he was an actor, then he got into directing, then he went back into acting. And right. um, it's it's a long story. It's, it's, it's fascinating, but I had written it as a screenplay. And then when I started trying to adapt, I thought, I want this to be a novel. And right. then when I started trying to do that, it was really hard. And I'd done a lot of research um, on it. And it's like, you know, it, it's hard when you're trying to incorporate, I guess, something that's like historical stuff. And, yeah. and you know, that, that certain conversations took place, you don't know what was said and all that. But I feel like, you know, maybe I've got a lot of exposition and stuff like that. And I'm looking, I was looking over the other day before I dive back into to the next one in my series uh, that I'm working on. I was just looking back at that manuscript and some of the earlier chapters. I was like, Ooh, I need to go back and really do a lot of, (laughs) this is going to take a lot of work and time. I need to go back and really revise some of this. But as it got closer to the end of the the book, um, I felt like I started to kind of hit my stride. So I do want to go back and spend some time working on that some more. Yeah, I think think that ends up being a risk um, a lot of the time, especially when it's kind of like a long format project, something which you know is going to take you a year or two. And people worry about that so much. I'm going to spend so much time on it. And then I might get to the beginning and think I'm going to have to rewrite all this again. Yes, yes. That happened with my graphic novels. Um, I don't know if you know the show The Simpsons. Yeah. The earlier Simpsons look different than the later Simpsons. And so by the time I had gotten about halfway through the first one, my first try at a graphic novel was called Uptowners. Yeah. And it was set in New Orleans because I was walking around these neighborhoods all the time. I thought, this is the stuff I see every day. I'm going to start with this. I'm going to learn with this. And, um, you know, as I was getting more into the groove of drawing, I started to realize, well, it's starting to look better. But then I would look back at the earlier pages. I was like, they look so different. I've got to <laughs> go back and redo all that stuff and, you know, kind of make them fit for what they'll finally look like. And so it's, yeah, it's, it was a learning curve and it was, it took a really long time. I think I, I almost like, I, I get kind of disappointed when people go back and they redo, redo the way I, I always think of kind of like George Lucas going back and editing his films and like CGIing stuff out. And I'm yeah. like, just, just own the mistakes, own what was possible That's over what time. I did. Well, <laughs> I 
I understand that too. And I think I, I write a little column sometimes for this thing called Writer's Fun Zone. Some, one of my mm. columns, I think I talked about, um, you know, I go back and I think there's a mistake or there's something that needs to be. And then I thought, you know, at a certain point, just leave it alone. That's mm-hmm. part of the charm of it. That's part of what makes it what it is. You know, yeah. it's just, it's kind of, kind of roughly drawn, you know, but that's just the style of it. And it's, um, it's going to be hard to, to get rid of all that. Yeah. And why would you, because that's what it is. And so I did, I've, I've learned that lesson kind of to just at some point, you know, let it go. Yeah. I, I think it's be what it is. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it, it always disappoints me now when you see kind of like Hollywood films and they are so clean and so well maintained and you know there's mm-hmm. no there's no prop misdirection or anything because they can just fix it all in post and i'm like it, it, yes. it removes like the human <laughs> element from everything yeah you know yes. there's thousands of people in these productions but you know it doesn't matter i can just fix it in post yeah. yeah i think you're right i think that's why i like like some of the like indie low budget films yeah um there's just something that's just so wonderful about that, that you feel that human touch and the human connection and things that you're, you think, well, you know, you might notice a little mistake, but it doesn't come off really as, as that. It's just part of the, you know, the putting together of it. And you can just, you can, but it's got the human touch and everything and you appreciate that about it and love that about it. And that's what makes it, you know, makes you want to go back and, see yeah. it again watch it again and look out for all the little yeah. you know mistakes yeah. and gaps that's what, yeah because i don't know that's what makes it real <laughs> it is it's is. i'm curious then um obviously you, i mean you've mentioned quite a few a few films already um i'm curious if if your writing is as heavily stylized as cinema is if if you are a person who kind of blends that into the way they write or whether you you, you come back to more to reality and write more realistic things (laughs) my stuff tends to be pretty realistic um Mm -hmm. my my novel poser is pretty it's the transgressive fiction um kind of dirty realism um and so it's got um somebody i think described in a review has it been kind of raw you know but yet tender (laughs) um but (laughs) but um yeah i mean my stuff tends to be more like character driven um i guess what some people might call low concept but i like to write about real people real situations relationships um all the messiness that goes into all that stuff i i love to explore that awkward i i dislike awkward moments in real life but i love it in fiction i love it in movies i love it in tv shows i don't know if you're familiar with the the show curb your enthusiasm um yeah. larry david you know, that kind of awkward yeah <laughs> like i said i mean i don't i don't i don't enjoy that in real life but i love mm-hmm. to, to see it on a screen or read it in a book and so there's there's a lot of that i think in my fiction and screenplays that's interesting because that's that's the the kind of stuff i struggle to watch like i love like gray realism stuff and, and a lot but when it comes to kind of awkward cringe I mm-hmm. can't sit through it. <laughs> really? I have relatives who don't, who don't, who dislike that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, I find it, strange it makes that, them uncomfortable. <laughs> like, because I like abstract stuff, like a lot, especially, you know, like when you feel completely lost 
just watching oh, TV, like, right. I don't really know what's going on. Everything's surreal and in concept. I like that. But then as soon mm-hmm. as it's like an awkward pause between two people, like, hmm, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, don't know what to do in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'm like for surreal, like, do you have any favorite directors who work in that style that you could? Um, well, so one of my favorite directors is David Finches. Um, oh okay and kind of the stuff he does um and it's any film which has that edge of abstract to it i really Mm -hmm. enjoy um where they're leaving more unanswered than you're actually kind of seeing on screen okay but at the same time i love really dialogue heavy stuff oh i do too that's one of the things that appealed to me about screenwriting was that um i love to write dialogue Mm -hmm. and i think that really appeals since the the description in screenplays has to be more minimal and the dialogue you know i I love that i love writing conversations yeah do you find you you you're one of these people who can just naturally write two characters easily like you know different conversations where you're just hearing it in your head i was like yeah i'm just recording this conversation yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i tend to daydream a lot and i tend to lately i can tell i'm getting ready to start back into to my novel series I, i'm these i'll kind of zone out and start thinking about a conversation that two characters are having and i'll kind of go over that over and over and i'll add things and i'll think about things that are happening before or after that might influence that conversation so i yeah i love that i love writing conversations um, and I have some scenes in my novel that have like a kind of a lot going on. There's one scene in an art gallery mm-hmm. where there are lots of different, a lot of the different characters kind of converge. But, um, you know, it's it's the little conversations taking place between a couple of characters here and there. You know, I thought, wow, that might be difficult to do. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, it happens. <laughs> yeah. I've always found it interesting with dialogue that some people just can naturally do it just it, they know how people speak they can get cadence down really easy and then other people sit there and they they write it and it just sounds like someone wrote a sentence and yeah. spoke a sentence and then like, hmm, I don't that, know. that yeah it's it's just, it is true i guess was it i can't remember who said was it well i can't remember i, I might be get the director on but i think it was alfred hitchcock or somebody else that said um you know, movie, movie dialogue and, you know, screenplays are like life with all the boring parts taken out. <laughs> but, but, you know, like what's, what's really going on. Sometimes people, the subtext thing with screenwriting, sometimes people aren't, um, mm-hmm. they'll talk about anything else except what's really going on. So that between the lines kind of thing, I think Hemingway yeah. was good at that. You know, the, 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 what's what's really happening is between the lines of what they're actually saying, um, which, I have to go back and revise that kind of thing, you know, over and over and over. Sometimes I'm trying to put more between the lines, you know, but it's just, it takes a lot of work to take stuff out and still have the meaning. And some of it, like with the description you can do with screenwriting, you know, a look, a glance, Mm -hmm. because you can't tell what people are thinking. And so you have to do it with a look, a glance, a gesture, uh, what stage business kind of stuff. So it's, it's a fine line it depends i guess what what you're trying to achieve in a scene you know and things like that so yeah i mean yeah, it's about, i think that's one thing with writing books which i struggled with is you got so used to just i can just put this in frame and it says yeah. everything i need to about the whole thing and then you get sit down to write a book and you're like oh i've got to describe yes <laughs> and it's hard it is hard <laughs> Because then you're like, well, yeah, because I know when I was writing my prose, when I was working on my novel, I, I had a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
And then I went back and took a lot out. Then I thought there's something, yeah, there's a fine line between telling what really needs to be there. And um, I put, and even some dialogue, you know, I, I put back. And so, <laughs> you know, the, the whole editing process took a really long time. Um, but the way I think I just, for the, for the first draft, I just kind of gave myself permission to just whatever I thought needed to be there, whether it did or not, I went ahead and put it. And then I just, I went back and tried to, you know, figure that out and kind of, you know, what shape it, shape it up, but you, you can't shape something up into what you want it to be unless you have something to work with, you know, that kind of sculpting thing. I, I read a, a quote one time that said, writing is more like painting. You're just trying to put, you got a blank canvas. You're just trying to put stuff on there to have right. something, but the editing was more like sculpting, you know, taking away that's interesting. To, so that a shape can emerge. And I thought, and I've never forgotten that. I thought that's really interesting. Yeah, that's a real nice way to describe it. It's, yeah, yeah, I thought that that makes sense. That way I can visualize it. Oh, <laughs> well, but we're not question for you now, in in okay. the sense of so. Are you? I always find with writers that there's usually they're one of two kinds of people. Is there either a people person or there a people watcher? Okay. Which are you? <laughs> hmm. I think I do. I'm probably, I interact with people a lot with my teaching mm -hmm. and things like that, but I, I'm probably more of a people watcher. Yeah. I like to observe and I'm content sometimes just to observe. And, you know, um, you can probably tell me I, I talk a lot and everything, uh, but there are times when I do just love to be quiet and just kind of watch what's going on. And yeah. I, you know, they talk about like to learn dialogue, you know, go and sit at the coffee shop and just kind of <laughs> overhear conversations. And sometimes that is fascinating. And, um, you know, but I, I do. I love to people watch. I love to go to different places and just kind of observe yeah. people. I, I think I think it's, it's hard to avoid when you, you're in like a writing mindset of just like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, what's going on in this table? And what, what's this person yeah. discussing? And suddenly yes. they become characters. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> And there have been quotes that I've heard people say or that, you know, maybe, um, you know, people that I've known or, so, you know, mm -hmm. they, they might have a favorite phrase. And I thought, well, I'm going to use that someday. And I have, you know, <laughs> so. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, I think, yeah, I, I always categorize it people in those two ways, because I think you either have to be super into talking to people and super, mm -hmm. you know animated wanting to learn the world and not all those kind of things or you just have to have a good attention to detail of how people act and talk yeah. and... which would you say you are are you more of a people watcher people person i think i've predominantly i've been a people watcher but that's mm -hmm. because when i was much younger i was very shy so i did a lot of watching people to see what they would do but i think over time i've become more of a people person like with doing the podcast and wanting to just get yeah. to know people okay yeah, discuss as we go along. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was really shy too. I mean, I you know, yeah. growing up, yeah. So I still am sometimes, but you know, I don't know. Do what you gotta. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I was just looking at Poser, um, in your book, obviously. Yeah. How long has that been out then? Is that? It, it came out Valentine's Day. It came out from Outcast Press, um, February fourteenth, um, and it's the first of a series called the Eucalyptus Lane novels. And the next one we're expecting will be released in spring of twenty twenty three. 
And so um, I'm going to be working on the part two of it um, this summer. We know it's going to be three novels in the series, possibly more than that. But, you know, we know for sure three. And I've got the set. The first one is written. This is what it looks like. I don't know if you can see it. It's very nice. Cody Sexton designed the cover. Yeah. Um, But um, so I've I've got part two mostly written. I'm going to be doing some revisions and and some things this summer and then I've got part three planned and I'm I can feel myself leaning toward a part four as well but that's not fully just just never say never that's the way (laughs) never say never (laughs) never say this is the last one because it leaves you a nice open to be able to go do whatever you want yes (laughs) does it does the series then follow singular characters in per book or is this yes well it 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 follows the the main character is this um this young man named ambrose and he runs away from an abusive home in texas Mm -hmm. and he ends up in the san francisco bay area and he he's dealing drugs but he's not very he's not great at it and he runs afoul of this guy who's like his boss you know with the uh, dealing and but he works part-time uh like his day job is at a s&m dungeon and um, once he runs afoul of his drug dealing connection, this friend of his, this young woman who he has a crush on, um, who works at the dungeon, she's a receptionist there, but she suggests that maybe he uh, come stay with her, her sister who lives in Palo Alto um, and stay in her guest house. Mm-hmm. And the sister's married and has a child and everything, but um, he, he does, he, he goes to, he goes with her to Palo Alto to meet the sister. And it's not until they arrive at the sister's house that his friend says, Oh, by the way, I told her you're a Stanford grad student just so she'd be more comfortable with you staying here and that. And then he's like, what? <laughs> and so he has he starts like right off having to pretend he's somebody he's not. Right. And, um, you know, all the difficulties that that leads to. And he starts to fall for the sister, too. And she's married. Um, and that leads to more difficulties. And the difficulties just kind of keep um, compounding for him. And, um, you know, there's some other um um characters who become main characters in this one as well who will also be in the next one in the next one and through the series and then I'll be adding some characters in um the second one we'll meet the parents of some of the main characters um Ambrose's brother is incarcerated in Texas and um we'll meet him um and so I'll be adding some more some new characters as we go along but continuing with the same characters through the series it's very layered then like you've got a lot of depth to every single character you're kind of throwing in as, yes yeah I feel like yes um I feel like I know these characters I guess because I've been working on this so long mm-hmm. um I wrote the screenplay a long time ago and and that I realized later I would read the screenplay and I I liked it, it you know it, I had entered it in some contests it did okay and but it was I felt like when I read it there's something missing and I think that's when I decided let me explore this maybe as a TV series where I can explore more about the characters. I felt like there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. And then once I started on that, I was like, there's more to the story than I even imagined. And so that's what prompted me to, like, I'm just going to adapt it into a novel. And I thought it would be one novel and yeah. it was running really long. And I already knew then, even then I thought, well, this is good. This is running really long. And I knew already there'd be another one. And so I thought I'm just going to make it into a, a novel series. Yeah. And so I think that's the best um, working best for it right now. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, the, the, I like the layering. Like, it reminds me a lot of like old film noir stuff where everyone you're kind of um, meeting gets yeah. involved, and every, yeah. it's like, you know, I know Jimmy, and Jimmy has this backstory, and it's on top exactly. of that. And that. I love film noir. I can't believe you mentioned that. Well, that's why I think <laughs> of it as a noir transgressive right. novel. And, um, and I love film noir. I love classic film noir and, um, you know, all that stuff. So that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, yeah, that's another one of my passions. <laughs> how did, how did you get into film noir then? Like how, what, what inspired you with that? I did think what was my start with that. I guess just like I said, I like watching classic films and old black and white movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know, there's just something I really love about just hard boiled dialogue and, you know, I mean, it, it's, there's, there's crime and there's all these, maybe some bad things going on, but then in a lot of some of the classic film, there's also some kind of touch of humor and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, I like some of the old detective shows of the seventies and stuff that incorporate that. Um, but I just like that about it. Um, but yeah, even going to like Maltese Falcon and things, you know, double indemnity, all those kind of movies, um, postman always rings twice, you know, those kind of things that were adapted from novels that made such, you know, great films. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm learning more about neo-noir as I go along, but that's why I think of mine, and, and I described even my first graphic novel, Uptowners, to somebody one time, I, I just kind of described the plot to them. They said, that sounds like those old movies, like those, I was like, thank you, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's great, that, you know, that's what I want it to be. Um, and I like even, though, like, noir TV, you know, and stuff like that, um, shows from the 50s and 60s. You know, I'm a big fan of the, the Perry Mason from the 50s and 60s um, and Peter Gunn and shows like that. So, yeah, so that's that was there's actually in my um, in the novel, there are several film references and mm-hmm. um, a couple of the characters are big, like classic uh classic film fans and there are a lot of film references in the novel you know these the yeah. things that they're thinking about that go back to classic films from citizen kane detour uh, maltese falcon stuff like that so i incorporated yeah. that <laughs> i mean that's why that's why i asked earlier about um kind of like whether you write in kind of a stylized format because that, mm-hmm. like to me when i think noir, i always think stylized like that's okay you know, the basis of it that that's that that would be you know to me obviously you automatically start picturing black and black and white and you know, yeah blinds well, with think, strong lights in detective offices and yes <laughs> i think when i first wrote this i wasn't even thinking along those lines and i think right. it's just because i guess it would be like a a neo-noir in a way mm-hmm. uh, with references to the classic film but um yeah it just kind of took on that character i guess um and some people uh, a couple of people have mentioned it reminds them of the some of the pop boiler soap operas you know that used to come on at night right. um <laughs> which is great you know i think of that too um you know it is kind of it's like kind of like a soap opera in a way um certain things about it and um you know keep people kind of working with you know dealing with their problems working through issues in relationships mm-hmm. the awkward moments you know um misunderstandings um you know changes of plan bad decisions all that kind of stuff you know they're kind of working through and dealing with yeah. so i, I like what I always liked about Noir was just that everyone's slightly broken as a human. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'd say that's very true with the characters in my novel. That's the best. Very one. true. 
it, it rem- I feel like that's more comforting than when you watch, you know, like a romance or something and everyone's kind of just perfect. And you're like, oh. Yes. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not the world not, we live in. Not by a long shot in this story. <laughs> I, I mean, so in terms of kind of um, like noir and, and film and, and what, what are your top top five, if you had a top five? Ooh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a big question as someone who is yeah. into film. Like, <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, I'm, if I mention five, there'll probably be five more okay. when we finish our conversation. I'll be like, oh, I should have mentioned that one. So just I'll say that right off the bat. Um, but like I said, I mean, I do like things like Maltese Falcon. I mentioned mm-hmm. some of them, Double Indemnity. Um, uh, I think I, Murder My Sweet. Some of them you know, have titles that have murder and yeah, you know, um, Murder My Sweet. I believe. Um, you know, some of the ones where, let's see, The Big Sleep. Um, oh, gosh. How many is that? That's three. That's three. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've asked you to do this and I couldn't name my top five. <laughs> I know. And I, I there's so many I love. There's one, I guess, I don't know if this is cheating because Eddie Muller, I don't know if you know who Eddie Muller is. No. He's um. On Turner Classic, there's a, a, a network here. I guess you may get it in uh, in England, but the um, it's called Turner Classic Movies, and they show classic films. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, he, this man Eddie Muller, is kind of a film noir expert. I believe he's in charge of the Film Noir Foundation, or has a lot to do with that. And um, he hosts this show every um, Saturday night around midnight, and then it, they reshow the movies on Sunday morning. But where he'll introduce um, noir films and he'll talk mm-hmm. about kind of the making of them and the drama behind the making of the movie and the stars and they'll show the movie and um there's one that I wasn't very familiar with but now that I've seen it I watched it a few times and I fell in love with it called Bob Le Flambeur it's a French film okay and it's considered to be some people some critics consider it to be the one of the a father of uh film noir in some ways um, but it comes from like it, it influenced some of the new wave, the French new wave filmmakers. Right. Um, I want to say it's um, Jacques de Mel- I know Melville was the, la- the, the last name of the director. Right. Um, but it, it, that's a fascinating film. And I don't know if it classifies as exactly. I think it it kind of fits into the noir category. But um, mm-hmm. but that's one that I really like. I'm sorry. I have a little dog barking. Can I just let her in real of quick? And then she's quiet. That's right. <laughs> this is my chihuahua so she'll probably be quiet if i just let her sit she's adorable oh thank you (laughs) he's my muse (laughs) the one committing all the crimes and (laughs) hi We've had a few dogs on the podcast before. So. Oh, good. I, I always okay. enjoy seeing seeing a dog on a podcast. <laughs> good. Okay. <laughs> she hangs out with me when I'm riding. She generally sits in my lap, or she's got a pillow over here that she'll she likes to sit on while I come in my room and do some work and stuff like that. So she's usually somewhere in the vicinity when I'm riding or thinking, drawing stuff like that, painting. <laughs> oh, you paint okay. as well? Yes, I love to paint. Um, I've just started doing some pictures, like some uh, silhouette um, paintings um, featuring Mitzi. I'll just show you one real fast. Okay. Here's here's one. I don't know if you oh. have, this is 
kind of unfinished, but like I have some photographs where I, um, um, I'm doing silhouettes and kind of a life force with colors radiating out. So, and I, I do that. I like to do animal paintings with that. And then I do decoupage and stuff like that. Um, I was re- I don't know if you're familiar with Flannery O'Connor, the writer Flannery O'Connor. No. Um, she wrote um, she, one of her most famous short stories was, um, and then I'll come back to, I'll be thinking of my next two. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wrote a famous short story called um, A Good Man is Hard to Find. And there was a collection of her short stories um, under that title. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's really famous here in Milledgeville, where I'm located. Um, she's originally from Savannah, Georgia, but she moved to Milledgeville later. And um, um, what was I talking about? Oh, but she uh, she started out as a cartoonist. And then she went to University of Iowa. She didn't know. she I think she to do cartooning. Um, she had to be in the journalism school and she wanted to switch to fiction. She decided, I'm not really a journalist. I don't know if, you know, I think I'm going to switch to writing. And she did. And the rest is history because she, right. she really got to be really well known and um, won a lot of fiction prizes and, um, and things like that. And um, she kind of writes this in the Southern Gothic um, style of writing, but mm-hmm. it's beyond that too. But anyway, um, she, she painted a lot and she, um, there's a quote I think that she has where she said that a lot of writers that she knows uh, or knew like to paint. And she said, it's not because they really are any good at it, but because it makes them look at things closer. And I always thought that was interesting. And I, I could tell um, like even with my drawing, with my graphic novels, it makes you look at things closer and it kind of gives mm-hmm. you little details and little quirks that kind of can go back and forth like from your art writing kind of thing. And one of my favorite authors is Henry Miller. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, towards as he got older, he he got much more into painting and he, he had a quote. I think there's a book. I used to have a, a book of his paintings and the title of it was Paint As You Like and Die Happy. <laughs> so I do. I think also when I'm painting, sometimes I think about writing and it's a good time to kind of quiet my mind and kind of get into it so I don't know like with your photography did you find that that you like to that that makes you focus on certain things maybe that maybe yeah I I think with with my photography I I I use it I so I use my photography as a as a kind of like a memory tool because my short-term memory is terrible Mm -hmm. like I could have dinner and forget what I had for dinner like um so I use it a lot for kind of uh taking like photographs of just spaces and and Mm -hmm. things to trigger memories and like oh this is how I felt at the time and and, yeah that's great through that which yeah when I'm writing like I said it said earlier I tend to just act scenes in my head and that's how I easily find it to get dialogue and to easily just dive into conversations and then I put the space itself I have to flesh out a bit with okay taking photographs and whatnot because i love to take pictures i think that's i think that's just uh, i I think that is a great thing to record you know memories Mm. and spaces and things because sometimes things disappear um Mm. you know places that you once that you loved or that you remember you may go back and it's not the same or it's not there anymore and you have that that's you know your painting in light you know (laughs) um your your photograph of it so yeah, I mean, you were mentioning cinemas with um, kind of double features and and films like that. I, one of my hometown theaters was torn down when we were, we were kids, and oh. I, I don't, I have all the memories of it, but I don't have a photo of it, and it annoys me all the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> I understand that. Because yeah. um, I'm a big fan of like old movie theaters, and I know they're making a lot of new theater. What 
new theaters, you know, where they serve dinner and wine and, you know, but it's just, there's something about just the movie theater to go get popcorn, you know, stuff like that. One of my favorite independent movie theaters in New Orleans, it was in a mall, but still um, kind of an unusual mall with an eclectic, you know, grouping of stores, but it was a quirky little theater. It was a landmark theater, which landmark <clears throat> over here shows a lot of independent films. And the ones, the one I used to go to in Palo Alto, the small one, that showed newer films was called well I think it's it's still there the Aquarius but it's kind of you know quirky eclectic kind of little theater and we had one of those in New Orleans and um it um it's you know it's changed and I haven't even I don't even think I've been to it it had changed right before I moved off from New Orleans into more of a I don't know just one of those where it's really kind of more you I don't know it's just not the same as the movie no. theater. It's kind of, I think, all more, more corporate upscale yeah. kind of thing. And um, a lot of the quirkiness. Yeah, a lot of the quirky yeah. personality. And there were some interesting people that worked there and, you know, and the stuff they'd wear. And it was just a lot of fun. Kind of homemade little signs, you know, around. And it's just all that's just not. Yeah, it's no. gone. <laughs> they removed the human element from it. They did, they're doing yes, what they did to the that's films. What they did. <laughs> exactly. So, um, let me see. There was something I just let's see. I think I had gotten my next two two more noirs that, okay. to finish my list. Gun Crazy. I'm a right. fan of the movie Gun Crazy. Um, and then there was one more. I don't know if I've concluded Detour yet on my list. Um, but in case I did, um, a neo noir that I like a lot is um, let's see. It's where oh, let's see. Philip Marlowe, I'm trying to think of the actor's name mm. from the 70s, but it, it's a neo-noir featuring Philip, uh, Philip Marlowe. It's in color. Um, and sort of like private eye. Yes. I'll think of it. But while we're talking, I'll probably think. But anyway, um, gosh, mm. I had it. No, I can't think. It's be I might have had one more black and white. Huh? It'll be one of those things you be, an hour later you'll be this doing something you'll be like, this happens to me. And sometimes when I'm in class, <laughs> I'll start to say that then I'll think, you know, or I'll be talking about something. And then when everybody when I've dismissed class, everybody leaves, I think, oh, there was one more thing I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'm curious then with, with with your kind of class and the, obviously you you must meet a lot of people who are into fiction. And I'm curious if if they all tend to lean towards doing kind of darker subjects or whether you encounter people who are actually like, no, I want to tell, you know, the happiest stories of life or anything like that. It's kind of a mix. I think right. a lot of the people in the writing community that I'm in, you know, like that I'm kind of working with, um, I was transgressive fiction and, and, mm -hmm. you know, that genre and um, the kind of the neo-noir genre that I'm meeting a lot of people with right now do tend toward the more, the darker. Hmm. And um, in my classes, with my creative writing classes, I think they're just, I think a lot of people are just kind of, well, they're just, some of them are just taking the class just because they need a class in that. Yep. Um, some of them are more into, uh, or maybe they've, they're already writing or they write poetry or something like that. But, but they tend toward, I think some of them have, you know, gone a little more to the darker, but more of them are just kind of just telling a story or maybe something um bad that turned good or it's kind mm. of taking a more positive thing so it's just it's kind of a blend I think 
I don't know. I mean, mine has definitely definitely has the noir, the dark elements to it, or people may, maybe coming from a dark place, but looking for more, you know, looking for something better, sometimes finding it, sometimes thinking they found it, found it, and it slips away and there's disappointment. So I'm kind of dealing with some of that you know, with some of my characters too, or maybe um, just trying to, I don't know, trying to come together and get to know each other and, you know, maybe almost being afraid to reveal too much of themselves or what might happen, uh, mm -hmm. or maybe they're not ready for something to be revealed and, and something gets out and they're having to deal with fallout, you know, from that. So I don't know. I think that mine is noir, but uh, it's, it has those, some of those stylized elements like you were talking about. Um, and I think as, as I get on in the series, I think there'll be more violence and there'll be more of that to deal with. Um, yeah. But as of right now, it's more just, I don't know, just the relationships kind of shifting around. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get into some more kind of revenge stuff and, and things like that, some in the story. So I always, I always find it interesting uh, with kind of, especially with kind of revenge stuff of, mm -hmm. of why we as societies like watching revenge things because I, I remember studying um kind of censorship back in like the early 50s and 40s of how you weren't allowed to make revenge films for a while mm -hmm. that was one of like the 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 board of whatever films rules was no one was allowed to seek revenge and then when they got rid of that suddenly noir came <laughs> yeah it was revenge and i mm -hmm. think it's it's one of those parts of society where i'm like it always fascinates me the people who naturally write this stuff but are also engaged by it and, mm -hmm. and compared to other parts of society who really avoid it and, and yeah. try and get away from it and I wonder why we do that but. yeah so but it's I don't know I, I didn't like I said that some of this was in the original story mm. um and some of it is new and I'm still kind of uncovering some things that'll be in part two and part three about the revenge stuff so um and some of it, maybe they'll take revenge and then things will shift and they'll realize <gasps> things that they didn't know, maybe when they took a certain action might be mm -hmm. revealed and they'll be, and then they'll be already be pretty deep, knee deep into some stuff with some bad people or something like that. And so it's, uh, they have to deal with that. <laughs> I mean, you don't strike me as a vengeful person. <laughs> I don't feel that I'm a vengeful person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's always that mix of what they say. It's like, well, well people write or they create. They're, they're just writing and creating what they actually want to do. Like, no, this is just, you know. No, yeah. It's I mean, it's the character. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the and sometimes, I mean, I try to leave room. Like, I work from an outline a lot mm -hmm. with them. Um, yeah, with my novel and with screenplays. I, I Sometimes I make a list of things um, that I want to happen. And I try to, you know, the screenplay, there's a pretty prescribed structure, story structure. Mm -hmm. um, well, there are variations, but still, there are certain points that you have to hit. Um, and so I'm working, um, you know, with an outline with my novels, too. It, it helps me stay on track to some mm -hmm. extent. And um, but I'll, I'll leave room to discover things about the characters because the characters do surprise me sometimes. I'll start down one road and maybe okay. something will come up that I hadn't that I hadn't realized and it's just I feel like that's the character you know just revealing things to me so I try to leave room 
I work from a loose outline, I guess you could say, but I'm not averse to taking a detour (laughs) from time to time. And depending on what is the most real and the most true to the character, because sometimes when I've lost sync with certain shows or stories, um, I find that it's because it's something the character, it's like, where did that come from? That doesn't mm. seem, which I know characters, you know, do surprising things, but it's like that seems out of character, like not in a good way kind of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't want, don't want that to happen. Sometimes I feel like what did somebody else take over and change the character or something like that? You know, if they, if they change, I want there to be a reason for that. And it's, yeah. Okay, that's that's why you know they're doing what they're doing, kind of thing. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the, you kind of you allow that organic process. Because, yes, like yes. you say, like some people do really dive in and structure of this is what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and then ignoring the fact that the the character would never do that how they've written it towards the end of the yes. you know the film or the book or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. So no, that's nice. I like, and I think readers and 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 audiences feel that like Mm. wait what (laughs) you know kind of thing so yeah I want it to be true as true as I can manage (laughs) I I think that's probably the the best advice for people as well when trying to get into writing of anything is just if you focus on the characters it doesn't really end up mattering what the story is about because you're just being engaged Mm -hmm. with who you're watching and and what they're saying essentially Mm -hmm. and there was a there was a film I watched recently. Um, what was it? Is it Burn After Reading? I've heard of that. I think so. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the plot to Burn After Reading is very thin. There's, there's not much actually happens throughout the entire film, but mm-hmm. every character you meet is engaging. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. And they even point out at the end of the film, they're like, nothing really happened here. And we're like, mm-hmm. nope. oh, that's brilliant. That's what I like about well, it. Well, yeah. That's fine. I mean, to me, it's not. Uh, because people, it seems like I have this debate about whether characters should be likable. To me, right. that doesn't matter as long as they're interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Um, I know there was a movie years ago, I think it was called Young Adult. Mm-hmm. I think Charlize Theron might have been in it. Um, I think Diablo Cody was the screenwriter. And I remember her reading an interview with her uh, about it. It was about this young woman. She kind of, she writes young adult novels and she goes back to her hometown and there's a lot of drama and I, um, but I remember um, the screenwriter talk, or the, the writer talking about how um, people complained about how, well, this character is just not likable enough. Hmm. I mean, and she wasn't a particularly likable person, but she was really interesting. And I was fascinated to see what she would do next. And I think that's, you know, I remember Diablo Cody was like, what's that? You know, so, <laughs> but, um, but I think it's just the main thing is that they be interesting and that, you know, the things they're doing ring true. And this thing about likability, you know, I mean, some characters aren't, but, you know, it's like that thing too, I guess, like your, your hero shouldn't be too good and your villain shouldn't be too bad. So, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, that I get that, but this thing about, you know, likability mm-hmm. rating kind of stuff, I don't, yeah. Despicable, but they're fascinating characters. They might be a terrible villain, but they're funny in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I, mean, I think that's what it's all about. Of course, that can backfire as well because yeah. you, you can write someone who's absolutely awful, and then people love them, and you're like, you you shouldn't like this person. They're a yeah. terrible person. <laughs> I wonder. Like one of my favorite TV shows is um, Breaking Bad. If you're familiar oh, yeah. with Breaking Bad, yeah, yeah. you know, like a 
Walter White, I mean, you do, you feel kind of, okay, well, I can see what he's doing terrible things, but I can understand why. And I know there, yeah. there was that arc, which I'd still have to go back and think on, but like, you know, you start to think, well, he's doing, he's doing terrible things mm-hmm. for terrible reasons now. And so people's sympathies kind of shifted, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. So I think that's just, I don't know. It's just a trajectory. I guess it's just, I don't know. It's difficult to navigate. Yeah. I think especially if you become invested in a character early on and then mm-hmm. they change, you 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 kind of want there to be a reason why they're being bad. It's like they've yeah. had a reason so far along and it's like yeah. surely they can't be that bad. And then yes, you know, yes. like with Walt White who then like tries to kill a child and you're like, hmm. Yes, uh, and you're like, no, what was that about? I mean, how is he changing? Yeah. And part of the thing too, I'm working dealing with with some of my characters like in in some of the future the next novel and the next it's like well <clears throat> one character wonders well his brother's been like well this have hardened him or not mm-hmm. yeah what effect will that have on him um and he's going back like in re- like relationship with his parents and stuff and he's just you know things that he's thinking about well what's happened to them in the ensuing years and maybe they've changed maybe they haven't at all mm-hmm. uh, and he's shocked you know by how much so it's just you know I don't know. It just, it's wild how things shape up. And it's, I don't know, maybe it's, they somehow, I don't know, you know, there's method acting, you know, things in people's own, writers' own experience or things that have happened to them um, influence them in some way. (laughs) Um, There's like, uh, someone blocked me on social media one time and I hadn't had a argument or anything with this person a long time ago um but I thought well that's weird and then I read somewhere where that's like the ultimate passive aggressive thing is to block because that not only means that they don't want to see your stuff but Mm -hmm. they don't want you to see that and so I thought that's weird and at first I thought well and then I thought well just forget about it don't don't worry but just thinking about that led me to a whole new storyline um that'll take place it'll mainly be in the third novel and what what the story that came from that it's not about that but it's based on some stuff from that Mm -hmm. and I thought well you know it's good that happened because I got you know it gave me ideas for a whole new thing so you know it's just things that happen influence maybe over time if you're writing kind of a long form thing your own life experience starts to come in on different things I don't know that makes sense you never, <laughs> oh yeah i mean no, no that makes you never know sense. you might take a, a, yeah. a swerve somewhere that you didn't expect to or something or a character might take a swerve but like you said if you already feel invested in that character and sympathetic toward them mm-hmm. it, you're dismayed to see them do something that you think is just terrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that's that's important advice as well though just to kind of pay attention to the little things around you you never know when they're going to impact what you're doing down the line you know yeah bring in different descriptions and different characters you meet and yeah let the and as you said you know let the characters lead you yes you'll have a much I love to do that because they'll take you interesting places if you let them if you just kind of let you know let that organic aspect of it come through and it's just it's fascinating where they can take you sometimes um there's one of my main character well he'll become a main character uh he is he becomes one in this novel and he'll continue to be but um he wasn't in the screenplay at all Right, and he just kind of at first I thought well he'll be barely be a marginal minor character and he's become a major 
major character and so and I'm like you know that just that's just a you know I consider that a a gift from God you know it's it's like well I never would have thought or planned all these years I've had this story and I didn't have this character and now I have this character and I'm so glad you know um he adds adds so much and adds a lot of dimension to the story and so you know you never can tell when those side characters have become important you don't know I know I think that's a very good point to round this out on, I think. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's been lovely to catch up with you. And well, it's been lovely to fun. catch up with you too. I think I finished my noir list. Gone. Okay. Okay. If you think of the Philip Mallow film, I think you'll, okay. you'll, you'll run that okay. list out. I can always okay. put that in comments. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. It's been fun talking with you. Hopefully it has. You know, hopefully it's not been too of a painful experience. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful. I've enjoyed having coffee with you. <laughs> That's the way we want. On that note, we suggest people check out your work and Thank they, you. they can find you. I'll leave links so they can find your book and, and whatnot. Um, okay. We will talk to these guys later. Click. Okay.